Hi, welcome to episode 7 of Works Broken with Niall O'Carroll, brought to you in partnership with Pep Talk. This week we feature Ben Ives. Ben is a career Navy SEAL who now runs the leadership program for the US Navy. He speaks passionately about resilience and emotional intelligence, and also shares a personal story about his connection with the ocean and how it has helped him to navigate the tragic loss of his daughter and his best friend. Ben, maybe we can start by explaining a little bit about what you stand for as a leadership trainer. Sure. <clears throat> okay, yeah. Um, there's a lot there. Um, so I like to tease it apart with a little bit of the what and then a little bit of the who, because those are two distinctly different things. And uh, it's really a good example of how I talk and, uh, and how I teach people, right? Teasing apart those uh, the what's and the who's. Um, a little bit of the what. So I'm 43. Um, I've got a, uh, a family here in San Diego. Uh, you're seeing the beautiful Southern California sunset come up right now. And uh, yeah, life is good. I retired 22 years um, in the Navy, Naval Special Warfare, SEAL teams. Um, and uh, that's been, uh, that's really shaped and defined uh, the majority of my life and uh, where we're at right now. I've had, I've had a lot of, of highs. I've had a, a very, very, a uh, memorable set of very, very high experiences. Uh, I think one really cool example of that, just to give a little tangible piece of that, is uh, free fall jumping, right? Every, everybody loves free fall, everybody loves jumping out of a plane. Well, not everybody, but most, most guys that come to this job do. Um, jumping out of a plane about 25,000 feet, it's one of the most high risk things you can do, but uh, there's a lot more that's going on than that. So this is just something that people just don't see unless you do a job that has to do with the context of uh, special operations. So you go load the plane, it's like one, two, three in the morning. Um, you do it in the morning versus the night because of the winds and the days and how they move. So you, you load the plane when it's dark, you get up to altitude, 25,000 feet. So you're above the plane of the horizon. So now you can see the sun. So it's daylight at altitude. You jump out of the plane, it's about a 40, 40 minute uh, parachute ride because uh, of, of how high you're, you're jumping out and then how far away the target is. And then it creeps into night again. And then when you hit the ground and you start packing your parachute, the sun comes up again. So you've got four versions of a day in one event. So that's just insanely cool. There's a lot of experiences like that. <clears throat> but uh, if anyone who's had this job or a job similar to it, they will also share with you, if they're being completely authentic, that the lows that come with that are just as intense. Um, they are just as potent and uh, powerful and impactful. So I have my fair share of those lows as well. <clears throat> um, I've seen plenty of setbacks and failure in the battlefield. Um, I've, faced, uh, I've faced the grim fact of saying goodbye to a lot of very, very good friends. Um, the closest friend that I've ever had the, uh, in the truest form, in the sense of the word brotherhood, uh, this man was at the top of that and uh, he was killed in combat. So I'm still in the, uh, in the tall grass emotionally with a lot of life things that have piled up in that regard. Um, we're also a cancer family, so that's a big part of our story. Um, my wife and I, firstborn was our daughter, and she was born in 2011, Amelie Fira Ives. I named that child AFI, um, Amelie Fira. And uh, we say goodbye to her after about a two, two-year journey with cancer, brain cancer. And uh, she passed away July 1st of 2017. And uh, that was another waypoint that just changed everything for me 
and uh, <clears throat> it forced me to do a lot of growing up, a lot of uh, emotional, heavy lifting type work that a lot of my peers just have just not had to do yet. Um, so I have gone through the fire in multiple directions, lots of layers, lots of learning, lots of stubbornness, lots of pride, uh, but also a lot of uh, post-traumatic growth. <clears throat> and I think just those words are very, very powerful, very impactful. We hear so often in, in so many places about how we're affected and how we're afflicted and, and, and really the state of victimhood. <clears throat> I think um, overarching in a, in a general sense, catcher's mid sense, there's a lot of victimhood out there in the world. And uh, being transparent is something I really fight for. So I like to, uh, <laughs> I like to expose that when it's relevant and where I've come from. Uh, we have a lot of victims in the teams. And uh, it makes perfect sense what we face. Um, very, very driven, very alpha, um, very goal-oriented people, but still so stubborn and prideful. So there's a lot of complexities that come with that. So I've had to, uh, to grow through a lot of that. Um, and it has, uh, it's, it's, it's left a mark, but uh, I tell you what, I'm using it for good. And uh, this interaction is an example of that. So. I don't have a high profile in, in media world anywhere. Uh, I like to do things from one degree of separation. I really like to know and meet the people I'm getting involved in. And uh, I take my time making, making, making relationships and agreeing to move forward because uh, the way I teach, uh, I give all to people because uh, I have a lot to offer and I found a way to use all of that for good and, uh, and really leave a mark on people that they'll, for, that they'll never forget. And they'll start doing things that they've been avoiding and start tackling the problems that, uh, that just seem too daunting. And honestly, a lot of those problems, you never even knew you were there. And uh, bringing stoke to people to fight those kind of battles, that's my passion. So coming out um, through my career, I knew what I wanted to do pretty quickly. I wanted to be a coach. Um, mental performance was a niche that I studied. I started about five years ago. That was a very abstract, very nebulous arena for, uh, for us in special warfare. I think it's very abstract uh, in a lot of places even now. But I've always had this, this just relentless sense of needing to understand what makes us tick. Um, that started very young for me. Again, no awareness. This is all hindsight reflection. Um, I was a very rebellious uh, teenager. Um, I was attracted to the things that uh, got me into danger and escaping just by an angle, an inch, or a second was... Uh, that was what I valued coming up. Um, I had no direction towards the military as a teenager. Uh, I definitely did not want to do what my dad did. I grew up in a trailer park out in Arizona uh, <clears throat> on the western side of the states. And um, I was on my way to organized crime, to be honest. <laughs> um, my dad didn't really instill a set of values that, uh, that stuck with me. And uh, that really fueled my rebellion and my, uh, my willingness to just be self-reliant and uh, that's that's all I was comfortable with um, here's a little perspective the first time that I honestly considered taking another man's advice in terms of what I need to be doing with myself what I need to be preparing for and how I need to do it was my first enlisted leader in my very first platoon in the SEAL teams I was 23 years old that's the first time that I honestly gave a shit about another man telling me what I need to be doing so uh, yeah, when he broke through with that, that was, uh, 
that was big for me. And uh, that man has stayed with me throughout my entire career. He's been there through every waypoint. <clears throat> so uh, coming out of the career and uh, really learning how to lead people, learning how to be coachable, using all my experiences uh, for positive and getting, and getting people to perform to their optimum level, that's my passion. Um, so performance coach, that's how I see myself. So exploring that space over the last year and a half has been really fun. So I've got three or four jobs right now. And uh, it's great. Um, one of those jobs is being retired though. I keep that lane clear, right? That is a role. I have to be a custodian for that or else it'll get taken away. But uh, I'm, uh, I'm grateful, I'm encouraged and uh, my capacity to give back has never been greater. Uh, the experience is, it's really about soul searching and finding your identity in terms of the like life and the morality and the sanctity of life. And that is a weighty, that's a weighty 50,000 foot view or answer, but that is essentially mm -hmm. what is taking place. I like to tell people that being a warrior is an emotional experience. And that's a novel thought for, uh, for a lot of people. But uh, it's, I mean, and I could define that for a day and a half, uh, because defining that and going back down that road, you really get to paint the picture, a very vivid uh, articulate picture of what it means to live with humility or be a humble warrior or any of those naming convention things you want to put on it. But that is another example of that's it. That's a life journey just to understand what that is, not even saying that you're doing it yet. <laughs> so the harmony of that and those kind of aligning, um, but that's what everybody's battling. But uh, new guys coming in the teams and the older guys come in, that are in the teams, there's a, uh, there's a real learning curve there and bond that, be, that comes together because you're nothing and I'm everything, right? Green and then seasoned. But when you're on the battlefield and you're on deployment, all of that goes away. It is just stripped away because you die just like I do. And then now I've got to be able to realize that I need to relate and appreciate all the support because we're outnumbered three to one. So that's the other part of it. Back to the identity piece is just understanding, right? That we're equals, but we're not the same which is philosophical, but again, it's another way just to like blanket that thought throughout everything that we're challenged with. So uh, yeah, it's uh, growing up uh, in a warrior society and being introduced to what it takes to be a sustainable uh, asset um, in this context, it's, uh, it's a beast, but uh, that's, um, it's a blessing to be where I'm right now because I've been running this development course for about five or six years and I get to unpack and unpeel all the layers to that uh, and make adjustments and little micro adjustments by seeing how these things are land landing for these young minds and they're me 20 years ago. So my first, my first leader, his name is Danny. Um, the first thing that stood out to me from him in terms of, wow, I can actually accept this guy's love because that's what leadership is. That's what connection is. It's, it's love. And sometimes that love is hard. <laughs> I like to say that to the sport team that I'm involved in all the time in terms of like, this is going to suck because we're going to love on you hard. Um, and you need to be okay with that. <clears throat> so um, the first thing that he showed me was uh, when we got back from that, uh, our first deployment, I was with uh, about seven, there was about seven of us that were brand new in this platoon, which was a little bit odd, about 18, 20 man crew and almost a third of them were brand new. So that was my new guy click. Um, combat deployment, one of the very first to ever be uh, executed in Afghanistan right after uh, 
we were attacked in 2001. Five of those guys out of my seven new guy click, they wanted to separate after that deployment, which was alarming to the command. Like, these guys just got what they wanted. We're just now involved in this war on terror. This is gonna go on for who knows how, like we're going to be working. You got to work and now you're done? Is that even allowed? Is that legal? Like, let's check your paperwork. You've been here 15 minutes. And uh, Danny stood up to everyone and anyone and uh, with total ethical responsibility, but strong leadership and thoughtful leadership said, no, you're gonna give them anything that they need. And we're gonna make sure that they get whatever they need to do whatever they want to do after this. And uh, that was not, um, that was a minority thought, <laughs> right? That, that was the opinion that was in the minority. And even though other people might've thought that and hoped that for these guys, no one would talk about that. And he would bring it to the very top. This is it. And this is, this is how I'm gonna navigate through this for them. So know that. And it worked out. And I was blown away by that. And uh, I had a marriage that had just dissolved in that process over that deployment. And uh, he ended up doing the same thing for me and I didn't even expect it because I wanted to transfer out, out to the West Coast. I did my first deployment on Virginia. And uh, he jumped through hoops to make that happen too when he didn't have to. So uh, what he really characterized there was leading up, using his voice. Uh, he, he knew when to restrain himself, which is another part of being a leader, right? We, talk, we always talk about the active volition about it. Like, what's the energy toward? Like, where is it? Where is it? Where's the momentum? Show me, show me the numbers, all these kinds of things. Like, a lot of leadership is honestly just restraint. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the decisions that people hesitated to make. Uh, so it looked different from that particular intersection. Um, so that stood out to me. Um, and then following on from that, that uh, what that did, that creates trust. <laughs> so when, when, uh, when you see people act uh, with, with that kind of courage uh, in an arena that's really critical and judgmental and stereotypical, and uh, they use their voice for someone else and someone else's benefit, and they don't have to, Man, that's, those are the building blocks, blocks to trust because what that leader is doing is they're putting themselves out there. They're being vulnerable. And vulnerability is a huge part of leadership. It's a huge part of creating a brotherhood. If there's going to be any sense of a brotherhood, vulnerability cannot be out. And that's a big, that's a big word that men, a lot of men don't like to uh, hear and uh, maybe uncomfortable interpreting. But uh, uh, again, I enjoy that because putting holes through that mental model is fun. And that's a lot of what I do with this coaching, uh, especially performance development, is, is mental model deconstruction because we have so many bad ones. So many. And when we're challenged, we go right to that path of least resistance for this antiquated mental model. And uh, deconstructing that big rocks into little rocks, uh, that's where the joy is at for me. So. So I'll give you a, a visual representation of it because it doesn't take long. And this is, uh, this, is, this is bump, set, spike for team guys. Like, you're done. <laughs> I don't say that to them, but you can see it on their faces, right? Because I'm just going to show you what it means to be vulnerable. Yeah, you're going to hear it because I'm going to storytell and I'm going to offer you things that have uh, impacted my life in very, very deep ways, very, very intimate um, relationships. And I'm going to let you see almost all of it, if not all of it. And uh, you'll never forget that. That's one example just from a verbal exchange of the power of vulnerability. 
but the importance of vulnerability is uh, it's even easier to, to teach people. So, and again, I go back to where I'm, to my framework, right? Where, where, how I grew up, um, maneuver warfare. That's, that's what warfare is. It's, it's maneuver warfare, cover and move, that's it. Um, fun to teach just that, just that strategy because that strategy applies in any competitive environment. I don't care if you're a business, I don't care if you're in entertainment or arts, I don't care if you're in sport, I don't care if you're in soldiering, it's maneuver warfare. Base, maneuver. <laughs> Base element sets cover, other element moves. You set cover, we move. And that can translate all the way down to the granular parts of, of every single person because every single person has to know how to set the base and then every single person also has to know what to do when they're in the maneuver element. Um, <clears throat> so here's the visual example. So if I, we come in a room and it's me and you and we enter from the doorway, right? We're doing house clearance. We call it close quarters combat house clearance, right? That's the target of soul. And uh, I'm in the room with you. <clears throat> and you're getting pinned down because there was a threat that saw you into the room and I'm on the other side and I'm not exposed and I've got angles that I can use to help you out, right? But I've also got this decision that I can make to just kind of stay here and stay safe <laughs> and wait it out to see if you can fight your way out and maybe not, not put myself in, in, in that. Just doing that might be enough risk just to whatever, every fear, right? Every, whatever I was worried about. And that was it. But the warrior, right? The brother, the teammate, whatever label you want to call it, right? For this person that you're trying to coach and optimize what they're capable of and, and get in the fight and contribute and be an asset. It's going to take you doing this and getting around that obstacle. And when you do that, what did I just do? I exposed myself. I, I, I walked out, I exposed myself from the safe place, from cover, so that I had, so I could take advantage of an angle that I had to take down a threat so you could move. And that's simple. So for a, for a gunfighter, that's bump set spike, right? You wanna do this job, you consider yourself this, you've got this persona, you've got this idea of yourself, you're trying to, you're trying to get here, but, but hold on, like, there's tension. <laughs> None of that will work. If, right, unless, unless that happens. And here's another piece I'll tie to it, um, the locker room. The locker room represents one thing. It represents a promise. Um, it's very hard for people to leave the locker room. I just transitioned about a year and a half ago. Uh, really goes back to supporting the Warriors and emotional experience thing. It's an emotional challenge to step away from that locker room. Uh, it's emotional, it's emotional, um, just turbulent roller coaster ride to step through that next threshold of your life where it's that new chapter, new page, right? Period, enter, tab on the sentence. Next page, let's step through that door. And you only get a couple of those opportunities. You only get a few of those in life. And being in the locker room is, is, is one that, uh, uh, that uh, people are very familiar with, at least the people I'm around. <clears throat> and uh, that's a very special thing. So... When you lose that, um, you might lose everything that you know about yourself, unless you've worked on the other part of who you are, right? The IQ and the EQ. So mm. knowing how to use that and employ that, it doesn't just take place in the locker room. 
we call it protecting your plates, right? The locker room represents a promise. You know what that promise is? Protect each other's plates. That's not just on the battlefield. That's, that's, there's much more depth to that than, yeah, I'm going to sweep your bullshit under the rug because you're my brother. And that's, that's what the brotherhood means, which is just, that's 180 degrees out backwards. So protect the promise, protect each other's plates. That's in every walk of our lives. Outside the locker room, in the locker room, after the locker room. Tell me a little bit about how you've trained to respond to stress and, and, and fear. Your body responds to stress the same exact way my body responds to stress. My, I'm a little different because I've worked to shape my neurocognition, right? Which is a big fancy mental performance word for I've learned how to counter, right? I've learned how to swim upstream when something goes boom or there's an attack that comes and the instinctual response is on your heels, turn or flee, right? So that is the art <laughs> is, is, is shaping your mindset to be more adept towards high potent uh, levels of stress and knowing how to come back from that rep to rep to rep to rep to rep. Uh, there's physiological ways to do that, biofeedback, but there's also an IQ, EQ way to do that by just sharpening and honing in on character because that's where resilience lives. Another $100 word that people throw around that's a catcher's mitt for a whole lot of conversation. Uh, it usually lands on people like this, just be resilient. And they won't say it, but they'll have the look on their face like, huh, thanks, yeah, got it. <clears throat> Being resilient means that you have character. Your measure of resiliency is the, uh, is the sum of all aspects of character. It's something I love teaching. I break that down into a lot of little rocks. But again, the mental model for most people there is that uh, resiliency is this uh, invisible little trampoline that's following me everywhere I go. And when I hit an improvised explosive device, or, uh, an IED on the side of the road, or I get clotheslined and, and I didn't expect it, I fall on this trampoline and I just pop back. I'm like, oh yeah, thanks for resilience. You know, that's just being called stubborn. And that works for a while, <laughs> but it's not sustainable. Um, yeah, so teaching that is really fun. Uh, I like to challenge people with that, give them the aspects of resiliency, and then just have, uh, have a reflective moment. Think about any setback you had or someone you know had that really was difficult for them to climb out of that hole and they kind of sat in that victimhood mentality for a little bit. Well, there was one aspect of their character that was suffering. And your character is your perimeter. It's the only thing that people cannot take away from you. <laughs> it is the only thing. Uh, I like to tell people that, right? These guys, especially in that, uh, that conversation of special responsibilities, like that's what you take away from you, right? And if you're working out with other people, that is what you remember. That is how your legacy will be defined. They'll remember how you did this job, not what you did in this job. They'll, made, they'll remember how you made them feel. They'll remember how you use the setbacks. They'll remember how you transitioned, if you did, from being coached into coaching people. They'll remember all of those intangible things. They're not going to remember uh, the bullets, the bombs, and the guns. It's part of it, but that comes after all of those innate, intangible aspects of who we are. But uh, circling back to the whole thing, right? So what you're asking about there is handling attacks. Right? How do you deal with attacks as a SEAL operator? Because right? those attacks, that's the distinction. Yeah. The, the attacks that I deal with, that's 
those are slightly different. But the way our bodies respond to it, we can all be better. We can all be on a common denominator in terms of being efficient <clears throat> and, uh, and, and being capable and having a, a, a team around us and doing that. We can all do that. So I just like to put those kinds of uh, relational thoughts inside of that because uh, again, it's a mental model that, and there's so many biases that go in with this. I'm not you, you're not me. I could never do this kind of shit. Well, that's actually what I'm trying to defeat. Uh, I believe that there's three aspects um, that are opposing us at all times. So this is the final part of your question, right? Um, <clears throat> what are we actually battling? Like, uh, what, and you mentioned the fear part of it. Um, so this is something I started teaching about a year ago. I started with the relationship I have in sport and I was really anxious to see how it would land for them uh, because I knew it was real. I had sensed it, I'd lived it. It had hurt me plenty of times. I'd studied it and uh, really refined it. And I've got a lot more to go, but it goes like this. So the, the, our opposing forces, we call them opt for, right? Opposing forces. Our opt for in this battle of progression are doubt, anxiety, and apathy. Simply. I think all the sticky booger cobweb bullshit that we carry around with us every single day, it can be categorized into those. It's doubt, self-doubt, anxiety, too much energy, not enough energy, and apathy. I care a lot, I don't give a shit at all. I care a lot, I don't give a shit at all. And those can happen in hours, those can happen over days, but we just oscillate through this, this web of muck. <clears throat> so doubt, anxiety, apathy, so I use that word anxiety very intentionally. I'm very big into words. I think the meaning of words are, 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 are very much overlooked. Uh, bites me in the ass sometimes because that's how I argue with my wife at home, right? You said, no, no, you said that word right there before, before you said that. And that's what that thought meant. And uh, that, that does not win, right? That's, that's not winning. <laughs> so- Get yourself but, uh, into trouble there. Yeah. So the, so the anxiety, right, within that doubt, anxiety, apathy, anxiety is purposefully used, not fear. I think it'd be very easy. Yeah, doubt, fear, apathy. Got it, makes sense. No, no, back up. You need to have a relationship with fear. And I, anybody who's been in a competitive environment, I think I could kind of stop there and they could just connect a lot of dots and then we can have a real kick-ass conversation and you can teach me a thing or two. But I know that that's real because you're not going to beat fear. Just like physiologically, you're not gonna beat your autonomic nervous system. You're not gonna outwit your stress response. You can shape it. You can be aware of where the blind spots are. And if you know that, you're one step better. But having a relationship with fear is, that's the ball game. It's either pushing you or pulling you, right? And when a team has high level awareness over the basics, you have a very masterful use of the timing, the tempo, and the pace of an event. Timing, tempo, pace. And that's all directly pointed to this relationship with the entire object that you're trying to take down. Is that relationship with fear? Is it, a, is it irrational or is it rational? And moving through that cleanly. How do you guys train your minds to deal with pain? I think it's just like any other sport team, right? The expectation is you play hurt. <laughs> yeah. If you can't play hurt, if you can't play hurt, you don't fit. <clears throat> um, 
Uh, yeah, I could just fast forward that to kind of what's going on currently because I think it speaks to all the previous um, generations is uh, mindfulness is a very popular word around here right now, mindfulness and meditation. I just read a really amazing, just well-written piece from a uh, – uh, he's a troop commander at one of the teams. So he's, uh, he's basically in charge of the entire um, small unit force, right? So like 25 guys, so he's the guy. And he did a 10-day meditation workshop, right? Not retreat, workshop. 10 hours a day, no speaking. And um, everything is super controlled down to what you eat. And one of the things he talked about that stood out to me was the ability to separate from pain emotionally through meditation practice. And I think if you think around, like, if you look at people that are very experienced in this, that's kind of what they're all um, showing people, right, Uh, especially uh, Tibetans in that region of the country. But he had – that's what he got out of that workshop was his ability to sit there, be present with how he felt, and let it drift away just by focusing on stillness. Um super powerful and that's a conversation that you can have around here um completely comfortable and that's that's pretty new (laughs) Mm. but uh that's essentially what buds does right that's that's what hell week is for that is really the the purpose of hell week Mm -hmm. uh it's the closest you can bring somebody to what conflict might look like or more more um feel like and how do you respond to all that um, so you get that, you get that in week four <laughs> mm. and there's no doubt about it. I mean, the, 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 uh, the example, I mean, it rings true. I don't know. I, I would never try to put a percentage on it or anything like that. It comes down to, uh, you have to have a willingness to play hurt and, um, you have to have some kind of mechanism or practice that, uh, that you do that you don't need anybody else for to, uh, to create space. Right. You got to create space. You got to create space for discomfort. Um, I had a site tell me you can't raise the roof unless you raise the floor. Mm. Same kind of same kind of theory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But as a inside of our teams, inside of our units, that's that's uh, that's 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 what our, our core strength is, because uh, that, that that quickly gets down to trust, man. Mm-hmm. There's just no, there's no doubt. There's just no doubt. It doesn't matter. I, we have so many stories of guys um, getting shot, you know, a dozen times, getting a rifle shot out of a hand, and still, as you're falling down, pulls out a pistol and takes the guy down. We have a lot of stories like that. Mm-hmm. But again, like, you have to add muscle tone to that. Mm. If you don't, if you don't know how to handle that, right? Because that's all the stoic stuff. You don't know how to handle that, man you fall into this, uh, the hubris. <laughs> mm-hmm. What have you learned from your career that has, that informs how you design leadership training now? Man, uh, I think the biggest, uh, avenue of, um, hunter gatherer, if you will, that's kind of how I express it. Right. Mm-hmm. That's like the whole lifelong study. That's the pursuit just from an identity standpoint. <clears throat> but I get the most out of uh, recognizing the blind spots um, in leadership, especially in uh, collaboratives, because all the biases and the groupthink 
and all the affirmation, it just starts to swirl and it gets worse. <laughs> as soon as it's introduced, people ride it. Um, and I think that's, that's really cool to interpret. That's kind of where teaching or coaching would come from, mm-hmm. but, uh, just being very, very critical, man. Um, and I think I mentioned to you, uh, first time we spoke, man, knowing myself, well, I, uh, I have never liked people telling me what to do. Um, <laughs> I think it started all the way back with my father, um, just so stubborn and, uh, wanting to be valued, um, wanting to have a voice. Um, coming to the teams and having instructors put me through SEAL training and they've never been to combat. That was weird for me. Mm. Um, and especially from how bad I wanted it and what I was expected to do. But at the same time, looking at some of these instructors and I'm just like, I doubt this guy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. and that's a cultural, that's cultural taboo. Um, again, right. You don't talk shit about anybody with a trident, especially uh, if you don't, um, if you don't wear one yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, succinctly, it was uh, feeling, because I think I felt it um, more than intellectually recognize it. Like, I felt the leadership uh, blind spots. I felt, like, disparity. Like, uh, I was really uh, just savvy in comparing and contrasting uh, the way I was being led uh, compared to other platoons and then starting to see other units. Um, and it was just really fun. Like, that, that kind of discovery is uh it is in a lot of ways and this is a reflective thought it's in a lot it's a lot of ways more more rewarding and more exciting than what happens on the field uh and there's harmony there i mean it's absolutely complimentary it's all connected um but the leadership man that's uh that's a big umbrella it's nebulous for people and uh i've always wanted to have a strong language set there because i think that's what a lot of leadership is it's it's how you articulate, right? It's how you disciple. A lot of it's unspoken, too. Shit, man. Uh, another part of that is knowing not when to speak, right? Because that can be just as impactful as just mm-hmm. powerful. And that's under- understanding that nuance. Man, those are the competitive edges. Yeah. Yeah, I think the, uh, and you mentioned the emotional part, right? Um, conversation I had yesterday with a guy that uh, I'm very close with, emotional discipline. Mm-hmm. That's again kind of goes back to that restraint. Uh, it's very much self-awareness, right? Like from an umbrella standpoint. <clears throat> but uh, I think it's really cool to see right now because the whole world's watching this uh, 1998 Chicago Bulls last dance thing, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think what people are going to notice inside of this uh, is just Jordan as a person. And oh, in yeah. contrast yeah. with some of the other, some of the other greats, uh, the LeBron thing always comes up. Mm-hmm. But uh, looking at it through the EI discipline part of it, I, think, I don't think Jordan ever really got that. And uh, it's a little bit of uh, a downside for him. And you can look at LeBron and you can say he has some of that. He's a little petty, but Jordan was petty. But I think mm-hmm. uh, the emotional discipline, who coaches that shit? Yeah. <laughs> if you think about it, there's not, there's not like a, there's not a primer, right? There's not a, there's not a development uh, kind of trajectory that is familiar to people. And how many guys, how many people who call themselves leaders have something there, like have a scaffolding there. And again, right, like how, that makes sense to me as you're getting to know me. Like that, that makes sense right by right to right back where I started. Like, oh shit, blind spot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and if you, if you can't and if you can't talk to something, you can't shape it. 
That's anything in performance, right? Like you're training for this outcome, but if you don't have words for it, what, what hope is there? Mm-hmm. Very and true. In the end, I mean, that's that's a belief that, uh, or that's a reflection that I've really learned through all my struggle is uh, at the end of that, like what you're really getting there is uh, you're 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 working on makeup, right? You're working on character. You're you're working on pedigree. Ultimately, you are improving your resilience, your ability to um, to handle trauma, setbacks, failure, whatever, man. And that's all in the wellspring of character. Um, I would submit that anybody that has had any problem, any struggle, it comes down to one of your virtues uh, and who you are and your resilience, whether it was a battlefield or a playing field thing or a life thing. And uh, I really believe that. I've lived it. I've coached it. I've seen people respond to it. And uh, I think it's I think it's something you can really believe in because um, we can all relate to it. Even if you've never been in a pro- professional setting, right, in a high-level competitor setting, even if you've never been there, if you have language on that, you can build build people along through that process and show them a framework, show them how to get on a trajectory they can relate and you can you can make shit happen right you can move the needle mm-hmm. i mean we think about navy seals the same way we think about say olympic champions is that somehow you you guys are superhuman and what i think is really interesting and what i've really got from this conversation with you is that it's not about being superhuman it's just about being human and being connected with yourself and understanding all the aspects of what makes you function at the best of your ability. Uh, yeah, so let's look at it uh, as you're describing there, man, from the gunfighter uh, standpoint. Um, the first part about it is, uh, well, let me try to keep it succinct, man. Um, yeah, I'll just start there. So as an organization, we value excellence. Um, Again, it can be very, that can be an enigma for people. There can be some expectations that are just unattainable for people there because we're always comparing against each other. Every guy who comes here wants to be a ninja. Every guy who comes here in their own mentality thinks that they are, they have arrived, that there's a cage that they hang out in, that food gets thrown in through the bars and break glass when, when ready, right? That's, that's the uh, that's the the general common denominator mindset-wise for our guys, and that's what we need, right? We need you to be on the verge of being an asshole all the time, <laughs> right there. You need to be able to you need to be able to go right to that line, and then not go past it, uh, and that becomes more and more weighty uh, in terms of responsibility. The more equity you earn, I equity is responsibility right i think that's that's all it comes down to man equity is responsibility how you can handle it uh another philosophical view from that right special special operations um really cool conversation uh, uh another um individual yesterday sent me an article about um this retired lieutenant colonel um teasing apart elite and special and he got a lot of things right but i don't think he's ever been in the locker room um, because he never described in terms of what it's special in being an operator. It's special responsibilities. That's what special means. That's why you hear it so much. 
We're not we're not better. We have more responsibility. We're asked to do things that um, maybe no one's ever ever had to do before. That's 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 a ton of weight. So that that just all kind of like covers our baseline, right? Like that you have to have all that just to be in the locker room. Um, <clears throat> and then on the battlefield, it's uh, it's it's the stoic part. You have to be that. You have to be stoic. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to move through things. You have to be able to move through the gruesome. You have to be able to move through the I should have or I, I was late on that, right? Because our game's angles, inches, and seconds mm-hmm. um, with, the, with the price of uh, the ultimate. So, uh, again, like seeing, seeing, the, seeing the guy that's, that's been around, to see him move with complete efficiency, um, maintain momentum, as an individual and for the team, that's a big thing in, in, in the operational environment is momentum. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's not all, uh, it's not always just all clicking all the time. I mean, I could give you a lot of examples in that. I mean, uh, one example is offset patrol the target. I mean, we'd insert in the desert 15 miles away from the target on foot <laughs> mm-hmm. because we had to, and it was worth it. And uh, we got good at it, and we were excellent at that shit. Mm-hmm. So the leader who's who's stoic but also can keep the momentum, um, he sees things before they happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the other side of that, he can come back and he can collect it all up and talk about all the shit that needs to be talked about, even mm-hmm. even the hard shit, and is willing to, is willing to put themselves and say, you know what, I could have done that too, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people do that, but it's general. When you can do it down to the nuance, right, of I, you fired that, you did that, and I was just a bit late on that from a guy who doesn't have to say that shit, mm-hmm. oh, bro, oh, dude, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's very, very powerful, especially from somebody who wants to be you, so to speak, right? So mm-hmm. uh, that's initially what comes to mind is having, is having those gears, right? I mean, we are, we are high-performing imported sports cars some mm-hmm. guys are exotic sports exotic sports cars um the challenge is learning how to drive that thing man mm-hmm. you don't know how to drive it um you drive with the brakes on and the gas on at the same time right you drive you're in third gear and you say and you should be in first gear all those uh, there's a lot of really cool analogies i think that can come from that i think it's empowering too but uh yeah that's what comes to mind Fun conversation, though, man. We could do that for a, for a long yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, I'm loving this. <laughs> it's um, no, it, it it fascinates me. I I tell you what, I find really interesting. Um, you spoke um the last day about your uh growing up and that you know you were you were on a, a on a not 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 a great path and that that the navy kind of gave you everything and. I'm, right. I'm I'm wondering where where you go from being um you know being obviously somebody who challenged authority to being in a situation where following authority is so important but still having the authenticity to question things when you felt you need to question how did how did you what do you think was the key in transforming that into somebody who could be as fine-tuned a machine as you were when it came to being a, a SEAL? 
Yeah, this one's cool. Um, uh, talked about this in a couple public settings. Uh, so hopefully this resonates for you. I think there's three stages of, uh, of, of as, as you're describing here, being uh, a high-level performer. There's three stages. Uh, the first one is look at me. <laughs> look at what I can do, right? Um, it would actually be kind of fun to, like, maybe tease apart an athlete that really demonstrated this, because I think we all do. The look at me phase. Like, I have all this skill. It's very raw, but uh, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to impress you with what I'm able to do. Like, we've all been through that phase. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the next thing that starts to happen is you, is you start to transition into this we-need-to-win phase. As a team, I, I need to do whatever it takes for this team to win and achieve the goals that we have, the loftiest aspirations, and then that starts to develop into a love for the, for the organization or the institution. Um, so I think that's really the next phase. And keep in mind, like, some people just stay inside this one or that one, and they never go anywhere else for whatever reason, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, if, you're still, if you're still that student, right, and you've got all that will for whatever reason and all that drive, then you transition into that third phase. And you could call that a lot of different phase. Uh, you could call that a lot of different things, you know, the give back phase, the humility phase, the, the mogul phase, the legacy phase, and they're all kind of synonymous. But I think that's when you really have achieved achieve some altitude and you can take some look behind you. You've got a really good look in front of you. And you can even climb a little higher and see the entire landscape underneath you. And you can give the best parts of who you are because that's where your personality really can shine because that's, that's one of the complexities, right? It's like putting mm-hmm. your personality through that shit through every single phase. And uh, it really flourishes through that third phase because you're adding all of your uniqueness to all of these experiences and these other projects or a project that no one's done before or aligning some of these things. Um, Yeah, so that's how I see that. So what then would you say are the ingredients that make up a a great seal or a great leader? Yeah, so there's two. Um, actually three, uh, I gave you the first one talking about like the muscle tone that needs to be added to who you are as a, just as a common denominator when you come through, right? The core, um, that's one, right? Just add muscle tone to uh, that healthy disrespect for authority and that drive that borders insanity. Um, that's my first one. Just kind of like, we're all the same kind of a deal. So here's what we're going to do. Um, and then there's two other messages. Um, I think I, this one usually comes before the latter. Yeah, so this would be the order. So the next one that I'll message is that, uh, and I'll prime it, right? So I'll make sure they're all looking at me, and I'm going to say, I'm going to ask you a rhetorical question. Or I'm actually going to give you something, and I just want to see how it lands for you. And then you can answer it if you want. But uh, I say, okay, fellas, this might, hurt a, this might hurt a little bit, but as a leader, it's important to poke people in the chest. Mm-hmm. So here it comes. This is gonna be this is gonna be a pit of a poke because you guys have worked your asses off to be here in these seats right now. <clears throat> and uh, what I'm gonna tell you is that this is just a job, and I'll let that hang uncomfortably for like ten seconds and just look at dudes' faces. Mm. And uh, yes. I'll say, you know what? This is just a fucking job. Mm-hmm. And now there's a couple guys that are like having a little bit of a visceral reaction to this. I've actually come to understand that I've been known for saying this, as a matter of fact. <laughs> some, guys, 
some guys have a problem with that, and I'm okay with that. You know what that means? There's growth coming. Mm-hmm. Um, and, then I'll, and then I'll break it down, right? The job will leave you. You'll leave the job, blah, 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 blah. But this is the most important job you'll ever have because it's going to affect the way you do everything from this point. That's what SEAL lifestyle means. It doesn't mean I walk into Applebee's and I assess who I can, who I can kick in the mouth, uh, who I'm going to have to avoid, uh, where the exits are. No, 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 it's none of that shit, right? <clears throat> it's that you are impacted by the lifestyle that you have adopted here. Uh, so that's a big one, man. It's just mm. a job, but, the, but it is the best job. And uh, the other one is, um, this is a rhetorical question. I ask him, okay, so, man, what do you guys think we're doing here? Ultimately, what, what would you say that Naval Special Warfare as an institution, what are we developing, man? What's on, what's on the assembly line here? Because it's not operator. It's not gunfighter. It's bigger than that. And guys have no language. They got no answer, man. Mm. And it's, it's pretty simple. I think a lot of the hard questions you ask are really easy uh, to, to, to pose upon people. But the answers are very, very difficult, man. And as an institution, we do one thing: we produce leaders. That's it. That is it, man. We're not, we're not, we're not producing anything other than that. And I think that qualifies everything we do. It qualifies all our expectations. It qualifies our purpose. I mean, it go, it goes all the way through the full spectrum. That's really interesting because I. I regularly have conversations with 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 athletes and now in, in, in the corporate world where I ask the question, what is your why? Why do you do this? And I think that's kind of what you're speaking about there, isn't it? It's it's um oh, no there's no doubt about it. Yeah. We're 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 uh, we're we're trying to get them to flip over rocks so they can evaluate those questions and they actually have something they can they can use to get there. And do you believe that that is key in helping guys get through uh, a SEAL career uh, and come out the other side in a good place? I'm pretty transparent there, man. I say this, uh, I love it when there's a lot of senior leadership in the class. Um, I'll say, you know what, I don't care if you guys do it for four years. I don't care if you do it for 24 years, but every day you're expected to do it with everything you got and you're going to get what you want out of that you may not even know what that's going to be but uh i think it's important to at least have thought about these two questions what defines a successful career uh that's a very hard question to answer mm-hmm. um it's not a question that uh our leadership answers you know coming home from employment or anything like that i think it's really qualified just on a surface level fingers and toes right mm-hmm. um so um, a commanding officer posed that question in a round table we had a couple of years ago and it just hit me like a ton of bricks because again it was one of those blind spots like oh shit I got nothing there I got I got no answer to that question at all and I felt victory right I, like I've, I've achieved and, and, and I got nothing that's not okay with me um, yeah so I dug a little bit man uh, I got two I got two answers for that <clears throat> um the first one is, and it's interpretive, you did it the right way. Kind of like a baseball game or a baseball thing, right? It's pretty subjective, but that should make sense. Um, he did it the right way. That means when people remember you, they remember what you did with your setbacks. They remember 
how you treated people. They remember what you did with your responsibilities. They're not going to remember uh, the bullets and the bombs. They're going to remember all those things. So he did it the right way. I think the biggest part about that is uh, is all the recovery, all the resilience stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And if, uh, if you think that's kind of singular, I would challenge you, you with this thought. As a leader, as a coach, as a mentor, what's your greatest reward? A fucking good comeback. Mm-hmm. That is the most rewarding thing anyone in a mentor position could ever ask for man mm-hmm. a good comeback story uh, i think all supports the uh that subjective he did it the right way piece uh mm-hmm. the other part of that is uh you're always prepared for the next job goes back to supporting the whole thing about just the job best job all those things um but that also means inside of that that every waypoint every opportunity to take someone's job to go assume this collateral duty, um, to step up for this tactical position. If you're not prepared for that shit, like it's just going to start backsliding on you. And that goes all the way through transition. So you have a successful career, so to speak. You're always prepared. You made it all the way through all these leadership positions. You get your transition, right? You doubt yourself the way you did before you even came here. Mm-hmm. Why? <laughs> Why? Like, there's, there's, that's, that's, that, you have to look at that ladder, uh, that rung on the ladder, just as intentionally as you did with all the other things that you came up with. And uh, I think that's solid coaching just from that, uh, just a job perspective, because um, you're, ment- you're mentally preparing that. And I think that's the hardest thing to do is leaving the locker room. And there's a lot of uh, comfort, assurance, perspective that comes from those messages. But, Again, all supporting that part of uh, always prepared for the next job. And when you, when you um, finished your tours as a SEAL, how prepared did you feel for the next job? Oh, I was. Uh, I went through a transition course. Um. Very deliberate, a few years old, 15 weeks. It's like going to a night school, college class. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they did the whole Simon Sinek uh, start with why thing. So you develop your why in a group. Um, really cool stuff. You do a lot of pitch work, right? 60-second pitch. And keep in mind, right, like you got to understand, guys in the teams have been lying about what they do to people their whole fucking adult life. <laughs> so to ask them to say, oh, I was this and I did some of these things and these are kind of my goals, that's like, that's like, trying to speak French for people. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to that transition course. I did, I did a lot of heavy lifting before I got into that phase, just by, by life, by some of the events I've been around in the teams. Um, so I was a little more postured for uh, a leadership role inside my cohort. And uh, I'll never forget the first week I looked, took a look around, and I know most of these people. And I couldn't believe it that I'm in a room full of people who are just mental infants right now. What the fuck is happening here, dude? Right? Like, you're so capable. You're so capable, and you have so much anxiety about, like, this opportunity. Like, you only get how many of those, how many of those thresholds do you get to walk through in your life? Like, where it's that page turn, and it's a, it's a chapter. It's another, it's another entire section. You got, you got a few of those, man. And, uh, shit, that just makes my blood pressure going up just talking about it. So, <laughs> I, I, I stepped up in that in that course. I volunteered first for almost everything. 
Um, I tried to institute a lot of thought and language that I thought would be relevant. And the, my cohort voted me honor man of that, uh, of that class. It's one of the most amazing things I've had uh, people give me in terms of acknowledgement, man. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. That's a pretty powerful experience. Oh, it's, it's fantastic. It's a nonprofit, too. So all you got to do is be part of a, a, a SOCOM community, even if you're an enabler or a support, and you're in. And can I ask you, um, one of the things that I find with pretty much everyone I've ever worked with is their their greatest successes came off the back of what they learned from, from pretty big failures. Um, and as, you know, when, when, when it, it, it's one thing talking about a guy playing a game, playing a sport and making a mistake and losing the game and being down about it for a few weeks and then getting over it and kind of learning from the video analysis and then figuring out his way forward. But it's a very different thing when your mistakes are happening in a live combat zone where people are dying. Um, is that something that you have experienced? And if so, what, what was the big learning you got from kind of that kind of a scenario? Man, this is, uh, I have an experience that I, uh, I keep pretty close. I, uh, I teach with it, um, strategically. But, uh, yeah, I've had, I've had failures that have been on the fucking ticker with the talking head. No doubt about it. Internationally, mm-hmm. I've been around some of those things. And uh, the, the thing that, that hurt me the most was the just the job thing. Because uh, it's, it's your identity. It's, it's the only thing you are. It's the most important thing you are. No one else is like it. No one else is like you. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're hit with failure, that's, that's the fiber it's hitting. Mm-hmm. Right, so there's all mm-hmm. there's almost instantly in our context a moral injury, almost instantly. You know that our greatest fear is not failure, brother. Our greatest fear is letting our brother down. You would rather our guys would rather die than have someone say he let us down, he let me down. You would rather be the guy who's getting the eulogy than giving the eulogy. That's wild, man. Mm. That's freaking wild. Mm. Um. Yeah, so uh, I'll just leave that at that. I think the other thing, again, it's just a framework, right? Failure to change is what's fatal. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. You don't change. That's 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 the fatal part. So if you were, if you were sitting down now, with with a twenty year old Ben going into the Navy, um, what? Um, what one thing would you tell your younger self now to do to, that you might do differently? Ah, uh, no regrets, right, man? I look at that from a regret standpoint. Um, I don't have any. Mm, things are not always pretty. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very tumultuous times. Things that almost broke me and broke my family apart. Um, but, uh, I, I've, i made the changes, so I see the fruit, right? So I don't have regret there. Um, the thing that does, uh, that I can recall, it may not answer the question specifically, but I wrote something in my retirement speech, uh, really pointed to that. Um, I had my first 
enlisted leader uh, as one of my speakers. Uh, he was the first guy, first male that I ever gave a shit about what his, uh, he thought that I should do with myself. And I was 23. Um, <clears throat> so I wanted him there. Uh, one of the best leaders I've ever had. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I used his voice, but I used my words, right? And I mm-hmm. said it like this. If, I said, if Danny would have came up to me in that platoon, my first platoon, and he would have said this to me, if he would have said... Um, you're going to see combat. Um, you're going to see success. You're going to have, you're going to develop relationships with people that last for, for the rest of your life. But it's also going to be the most difficult thing you've ever experienced. You're going to experience loss. You're going to experience failure. You will doubt the brotherhood, but in the end, it'll be worth it. And I said, and after that, I said, if, if you would have said that to me, there's two things I probably would have said in response. Is let's do this, or I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. Very, very cool. Um, I'm not sure if you want to answer this next question, but I'll ask it, and you know, I tr- I I trust your ability to tell me tell me to go fuck myself if you All want right. to, but. You spoke right. about you spoke about your brother, your best buddy, who um, lost gave gave the ultimate prize in combat. Um, yeah. When 18. did that happen? What were were you with him when that happened, or was that something that was after you finished? Uh, we were at the same we were at the same command, different teams. Okay. Um, <clears throat> yeah, we went through that. We went through training for that command together. Uh, he got dropped about two months into it, right at the end of the, of the, of the most difficult part. Because if you go through that part, you've, you've, you've kind of got it. Mm. You prove what you're capable of. And that crushed me, man. I almost, uh, I almost quit on selection at that point. I really did. I remember I put a note in my notebook. I wrote his name and the date when he died, because that's kind of what it's like when you get shit canned. They just, they want it. They want the class to feel like you, you're done. You're dead. Mm. Um, so he ended up going uh, through the next year. They kept him around because he's such a high character guy. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, now I'll tell you this, man. The the cadre came out the next morning, and I I'm not shitting you. They apologized to the class for almost ten minutes for having to dismiss him for his infraction. Mm-hmm. Unprecedented. It's yeah. unprecedented. Um. So, um. Yeah. So I was on rotation. Um. His, his team relieved ours, and uh, he went down on that deployment. Uh, the last time I was with him was a motorcycle ride. I still remember exactly where I was, and we hugged it out before he, uh, he went my, his way and I went mine. But, uh, no, I was uh, I actually contributed to part of uh, one of Marcus Luttrell's books about that, um, about what happened, because I had a physical reaction the night that that went down, even though I was 5,000 miles away, my body was affected. And, uh, I started getting phone calls and three or four in the morning that, uh, that morning. And, uh, there's a lot of details. I remember it with complete clarity, but, uh, yeah, I felt that connection take a hit, a hundred percent on a heart level, on a mental level. I felt it. And how, how do you, how do you frame that afterwards? 
because one thing I think is really fascinating about you was um, you spoke you spoke so well the la in our last conversation about the the trauma that 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 your family have been through um, in losing your daughter and 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 the trauma that you've been through personally in losing your your closest friend and how do you how do you kind of how do you avoid getting bitter? You got to jump in the muck. If you don't jump in the muck and you don't talk about the pain, it'll steal your joy, man. Mm. You have to, you have to jump inside of it. Uh, a few of us went to his house. The next day we cleaned out his closets. Um, I drove his truck all the way to Iowa from Virginia with another guy. We had a little caravan going with his motorcycle in the back of his truck. <clears throat> and, uh, uh, I, I did the eulogy. Um, you got to do all of those things. You got to answer the questions for uh, for the family. Mm -hmm. <laughs> questions that you're not even prepared to answer, but you got to give them something that that that, that matters. And uh, there's great growth that comes from that. But uh, in the first stages, there, what tends to happen, especially with us, is uh, nobody can relate. I can remember going to a coffee shop at some point in those first couple of days and having such disgust for everyone there. Who was in their own little in their own little world, and I just wanted to break the I just wanted to break the glass, mm. and just yell at people about how can you how can you sit here, and uh, you have to like you have to acknowledge that too. You got to jump inside that chaos, but mm -hmm. you uh, you can't do that shit alone, man. You can't do it alone. And that's and, what I call uh, that's what I call foundationally sharpen, sharpening each other's steel. That's what brotherhood really is, man. Mm -hmm. And you do you keep do, each, each other steel sharp? Do you feel that that's a that's a a, a weakness of the seal brotherhood that 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 inability to discuss to show vulnerability? Uh, we're pretty good. Not uh, in a general sense, yes. But when it's come when it comes to dealing with our own, no, we're we're mo we're more capable than 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 many than most. Okay. I've been to plenty. Of, I've been plenty of joint eulogies, joint services, and our guys always bring the house down because they talk about the who. They don't mm -hmm. talk about the what. Yeah. It just happens naturally because of our bond. Mm -hmm. That's that's powerful stuff. So in there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot to be said for it for sure. So could could can you tell me a little bit more? I about you spoke. Um, about your connection to the sea, and obviously, as as a navy boy, your 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 you know your your life has been revolved around the sea. But you mentioned your connection to the sea and how it keeps you connected with your daughter uh, and with with JT. And it, tell me a little bit more about that and about the the your kind of your thinking around it. Man, that's uh. That's really uh, something that's happening right now. So, um, have you heard of World Surfing League? Very much like yes. the NFL, yeah. right? WSL. Yeah. So they're gonna do they're gonna do a bio uh, a biopic story um, on my journey through that lens. Wow. So basically, gonna tell my testimony. Yeah, I'm gonna tell my testimony uh, through the lens of my connection with the open water. So I've got a lot to say, uh, a lot to a lot to a voice from there, but. I mean, the big takeaway is uh, is uh, it's something I got when I was um, just becoming a, a, a young believer. I'm still very young. A few just a few years ago, 17, 2016, and 
I was doing a study, a faith study, uh, from an organization I volunteer for now. It's vet run guys that go there that are at their wit's end, um, called Mighty Oaks. I think I might have mentioned it, Mighty Oaks mm-hmm. Warrior Programs. That's what really put me on a on the brought me back to my to my knees and able to start walking it out again. But uh the um <laughs> shit. The uh the study started talking about how we're able to trust through faith and how God can carry the weight of our sorrows and our pain. Mm-hmm. And and the guy in the message said something that was an afterthought that it kind of just, I think he was speaking out loud to himself and he's just kind of tailing away from the thought. And he said, you know what? That cup is so is probably so big that it's probably as big as the ocean. And my mind just went a thousand miles. Mm. it just yeah. con- it connected so many things for me that that the water represents our connection through our struggle and you and that's all of us we're all fighting for survival every single day of our lives man and the expression of that comes in the form of the ocean salt water or the reflective part how parallel that is with our reflection and what we produce and uh, in the state of awe that people are in when they're on the coasts and the shores, not to mention that the majority of the population on the globe lives near the water, that we're known as the water planet, um, that we are the storm planet, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> All of these kinds of things. And that, and that when you're standing at the foot of those bodies of water, you're in awe because you see all of us. You see yourself. So the art inside of that is to ride the wave right to stand on top to, to stay in the fight through the struggle and the purest manifestation of that is being in that water man we did our uh, burial at sea for our uh, our daughter out here near coronado uh, in the mouth of the, the bay here in san diego um i've learned the majority of my lessons in life by what the unpredictable environment of the oceans and the open water has taught me um I've seen the world across, uh, you know, the expanses of the water. I've had to find ways to survive up it, uh, above it, on top of it, below it. Um, and uh, But I've never had the artistic approach or the artistic uh, um, aperture towards that, you know. So to see it um, fully matured is what I think I've been able to do. Um, yeah, that's my, that's my perspective on it, man. It's awesome. That's and I, I, and I, I, it's, uh, it's kind of, it, it, again, you know, like being so aware of how other people are expressing and kind of demonstrating and leader. I watch, I watch a lot of very experienced uh, watermen answer that question. Um, and nothing's really ever, like, hit me. It's, it's usually uh, someone talking about, like, the spark that they felt the first time they were on a wave, and everyone will kind of have that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's just kind of left at that, right? It's like that sense of magic. You'll do anything to go feel that and sense it again. Uh, and that's really kind of as far as it goes, you know? So coming up as a young surfer right through the struggle of my daughter, and it really started exploding after she passed, and it was just where I could focus all of my energy. It was another, like, there's another piece of me that I wanted to understand, like that connection um, at this point in my life, because I can feel it. And I've never had to think about it before, but now I'm looking at this other kind of 
this other group of high performers and I'm, I'm a, I'm a, just a greenie and I got big goals, right? I want to be on waves that'll kill you. That's my goal. My wife doesn't like, my wife does not like to hear that, but, uh, I mean, that's, that's what I'm trying to work towards, man. Um, because it's just that sense of, of, of conquer just for, just for a minute, right? Just, it's, it's, you, you survived, uh, a battle that would end you in a second and to just not give a shit about you, <laughs> which is what trauma, trauma doesn't, right? Trauma mm-hmm. don't give a shit about who you are. Mm-hmm. So the parallel with that and all the effort and all the drive and all the emotional parts of it, man, it's, uh, it, it is a, it is so important in my life. I mean, we think about Navy SEALs the same way we think about, say, Olympic champions, is that somehow you, you guys are superhuman. And what I think is really interesting and what I've really got from this conversation with you is that it's not about being superhuman. It's just about being human and being connected with yourself and understanding all the aspects of what makes you function at the best of your ability. No, it's a, it's a real thing when we're overseas on deployment. Um... There are, uh, there's times, right? There's entire rotations, months on end, where you or are just the operator of the night, right? Like you're mm-hmm. a part of the darkness, so you don't see the day, uh, the day, the sun for weeks and weeks and weeks. It plays mm-hmm. with your mind. You, uh, you get through it, and then you're steady. But it's uh, no, there's a lot to, a lot to say about that. But you know, like you guys obviously train yourselves like physically to to a fairly, you know, in, like an incredibly high level. But how do you train yourselves mentally to deal with those kind of That's only something marks? we're getting from with doing in the last 10 years. And uh, I was fortunate to be at the front of it mm-hmm. and uh, alone and unafraid for a while. Really uh, a student and, a, and a, uh, a client, right, or a patient, if mm-hmm. you will. So I had an interesting role with that coming up learning, but also wanted to teach mm-hmm. so badly, almost desperately, because I started to see things in a different way, like, you know, what literal, in a literal sense, what made us tick mm-hmm. other than just the drive to go do the job, all the alpha, right. All the, all the attitude stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's funny, you know, I mean, I, I always reference the, um, the training you guys go through and a lot of your philosophies when I'm talking to, to sporting teams, because I think the principles of the Navy SEALs are very much, kind of the ideal about getting people to work together as a team and trusting in each other and mm. kind of and, and, and kind of knowing that when you know if if you're gonna lean on a colleague you've got to know that they're gonna do what they need to do to take care of you and vice versa, right? And mm. um so I know that about it man. So what 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 would you say is it that you've learned through your career that has made you understand leadership in the way you understand it now? Um seeing bad leadership first of all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally get that. <laughs> right? Like there's, that's, that's urgent in the teams, right? Like one thing that uh, defines us coming out of uh, training is uh, a will that borders in, uh, insanity and a healthy disrespect authority for authority. Mm-hmm. Right? So there's a couple operative words in that. And uh, I think it's, you know, it could be, it's profound for young guys to really, oh shit, that is me. Yeah. <laughs> like, wow like how 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 just it just captures all of you mm-hmm. you want so much you know and uh, that healthy disrespect for authority that can be good right mm-hmm. there's good flavors to that uh there's 
there's courage in that. There's a lot of leadership things in that, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but uh, there's also a lot of self-awareness. <clears throat> so, I mean, I could go on and on and mm-hmm. on, but I've got very, very, you know, vivid memories of being critical of buzz instructors right off the bat, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and then later on in career, like being at the, um, going through selection at our highest level in the very same way, but being in such awe because, um, it was different, <laughs> right? It was just, it was still team guy attitude, mentality, philosophy, but it was a, at a much more critical, urgent, right? I mentioned that already, mm-hmm. uh, demanding. So that's what you were out to show every day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I think the takeaway about what you find on a self-awareness level, going through something like that, that's that, whatever your answer is, like whatever my answer is, it might be slightly different, mm-hmm. but, uh, <laughs> That's that's fun shit to talk about. Yeah, I could totally agree with you. And it, and but I think I think I'll give you something like so even bigger beyond that, right? The scope of who I am, right? It's really uh, uh, the importance of, of, of serving and uh, willingness to be in the fight. I think those are two the two biggest, right? What I got out of it mm-hmm. as an operator. There's when... a lot of setback there too, right? There's mm-hmm. a lot of highs and there's a lot of setback. Cause that has to be there as well. You know, I think anybody who's figured any, anything out, you can ask them, uh, what sucked the most. And they'll be like, Oh, boom. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, what do you think about that? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I think that's, that can be very telling, right. Again, like where, where you started with the question, um, where did you see it? Right. Like, how did you start to, uh, how did it land for you? Where were you critical of it? All the self-awareness stuff that came from that. And would you say that that your self-awareness, that self-awareness was always a strong suit for you, or is it something that you developed through kind of resilience and difficult experiences? Mm. Uh, very young, right? Very young age. I remember being um, kind of kind of growing up, you know, and, and, and reaching out and pushing boundaries farther out, you know, farther... I lived up against the Indian reservation up in Arizona. Mm-hmm. So I could go out and run and rip and do all kinds of shit. And I did all of it. And I was on a bad path and uh, I was stubborn as shit. Right. <laughs> but I, uh, excuse me, Ray. And um, I apologize to my son. He's the, uh, he's the word police for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're just watching the house. And I remember like my uh, intrinsic like thought that I was connected with, connected with was I knew I could do something. I don't know what it is, but uh, I better figure it out because I don't want to mess it up. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited about it, right? I wasn't fearful of that, mm-hmm. but I knew there was something that that uh, I could do that would be different than most. And again, I, I think you can connect that to leadership, right? Yeah. Being critical, being really uh, kind of like the professor mindset. But also <clears throat> being driven and that and that, uh, that 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 will has to be shaped right. The borders insanity mm-hmm. and your aperture towards leadership that it has to evolve too. Because like I said, that's where we come out of training. But that's not good enough. Like there's more on you now. <clears throat> there's more responsibility, and uh, this needs to start start to add some. You need to t- start to add some tone to it. Mm-hmm. And there's an EQ set of that too, right? The IQ stuff. That's the job. Mm-hmm. What would be the key positive skills you you learned as 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 a seal 
both in your training and then through your career? <clears throat> Man, it's funny. Uh, like this is my passion, right? Getting mm -hmm. in this conversation, my blood pressure goes up. <laughs> and, uh, this is all my, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, this is my study. So, uh, <clears throat> yeah. Um, I like to tell people on the forums that I have when it comes up that, uh, I say, I say globally, right. Cause I'm about inclusive. I like to avoid the halo mm -hmm. and, uh, I like to be very vulnerable with people. It just shocks people. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> That's something I've had to learn through process. Right. And there's a lot underneath that. So, um, but the, the, the thing I submit to people is the Navy gave me everything. So I start with gratitude. Uh, I go global with that. <clears throat> I did some years in the fleet, right? I was a surface sailor for three years because I didn't know shit about the teams. <laughs> I never heard about special warfare, none of that shit, mm -hmm. right? I was just a punk. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, they gave me everything. I mean, I have a house today. How grateful am I for that? VA loan, retirement pay, disability pay, mm -hmm. and all I have to do is get up and drink coffee every day. I only have to put clothes on if I don't want to. <laughs> so... Sweet. But, uh, no, it's, very, it's very real. That's something I'm very present with. I think it's important to talk about. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, <laughs> that's uh, and and it's funny because gratitude is such an important tool that that we kind of t we we often ignore or we forget about. And I, I think oh, if we're talking about mindset, you got like you know it's yeah. it's in the forefront. It's right there. And yeah. and if you're going to talk about it, you better know how to talk about it. Hundred percent. A lot of leadership uh, uses platitudes, right? Mm -hmm. Uneven, uneven ground. Uh, it's enforcement, then over encouragement. It's most likely reactionary, mm -hmm. you know. So uh, I've got yeah. a very, very critical eye for that, right? Yeah. Again, it's just like any mental strategy, performance, whatever you want to call it, like leadership philosophy, like leadership utility. That's nebulous for people, but they're so familiar with hearing it. They're, they're like it's. People are worn out with it. Mm -hmm. Would you say, did you, did, when you joined the Navy, did you always know that you were going to become a SEAL? Yeah, after that kind of defines me, especially at that age. Uh, I was on a boat, right? Like I said, that's where I started. Yeah. And we went on a deployment, um, surface ship deployment, uh, amphibious type boat. We're outnumbered by the Marines operational underway like three to one and uh we had a seal platoon on board i'll never forget i still remember dude's faces and um actually became uh teammates right or associates with some of the guys as i as i was new mm -hmm. which is uh, a, a weird thing right there's a lot of stuff <laughs> to explain with that too um <clears throat> right but i remember those guys didn't have to do what i did that was a big attraction for me they didn't mm -hmm. have to look like I did, talk to people like I did. They get in fights overseas in the Philippines, come back with black eyes, and it was cool. <laughs> so I was like, what, what, is this, what is this all about? <laughs> and when people asked, when I asked people about it, and they knew that there was, like, real interest there, because a lot of people talk about it, mm -hmm. and uh, people want an identity with, like, you know, that in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> it's so funny. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, as soon as people were like, oh, you don't want to, I was like, you don't want to do that. I was, before they finished the thought, I was like, oh yeah. Well now I absolutely know. I want to know more about it mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> at least. And that, that was my, no joke. That was my like introduction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I never read a book. Still haven't. I never seen a movie. Still haven't. 
Really? But that's that's cool because mm-hmm. that's yeah, you know, and that's a cool cool conversation, cool subject. Because I uh, I mentioned this development development program. It's been my baby for a while, mm-hmm. and I have an ethical conversation about the young with the young guys about books because <clears throat> it needs to happen. It needs to be it needs to be thoughtful, right? Mm-hmm. Again, like encouraging, um, listening. Like let's discuss it's your conversation. And I've learned that uh, quite a few guys came in because of a book. Mm-hmm. which may not be new, but when you compare it to where we're at, just from a um, court of public opinion standpoint, which is a vicious beast mm-hmm. in NSW. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, so that was something that, like these kids teach me all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Prayer leaders know they're never done. Yeah. They're never finished. So how how did you, not to skip completely right. past your SEAL career, but how did you end up training in, in, and, and training uh, new generations to be leaders? Um, when I came back to the West Coast, which is kind of where I'm from, mm-hmm. um, in a work sense and a, a life sense, <clears throat> I came back and I had a lot of scar tissue. Mm-hmm. I had some open wounds like a young family and uh i didn't i put myself in a position to really start to do stuff nobody's seen before i start with that being warriors and emotional experience thing that way there's at least a little buy-in to where that word comes up but if i project that way to the top like executive leadership uh style right that kind of interaction uh i'd also start with another challenging thought um and just see what comes back from a language standpoint tell me about uh your leadership tell me about uh your understanding of your people, right? I find a nuanced way to say, how well do you know your people? Because I think that's a big vision, mission, value statement in a lot of very well-known places, right? Any organization, institution, they're gonna have their big three and their kind of ethos or their mission and plastered up, or at least they will if they're smart. <clears throat> and uh, and, and, and having, having something that's actually uh, meat on the bone for people there that they can grab onto. Um, because if a leader knows his people, that there's much more to that than just being on the floor. So here's a quick little offshoot on that. Um, we talked about the importance of character. So here's another mental model that people fall prey to, uh, is this precedence of reputation before character, reputation focused. Um, that's a trap. (laughs) That's a trap. And, uh, it's a very, very bumpy road. And at some point, there's going to be a, a waypoint where on your, you're on your back and you're going to have to realize that your character is what should precede above and beyond all, especially your focus of it. Because your reputation is with you. It's always with you. It is important, but it is just your shadow. So cross-correlate that. When a leader walks on the floor, what kind of shadow do you cast on people? Because just, not, just with you not saying anything, your presence is saying a whole lot and you're either blocking people out with that shot shadow and you're knocking them over right every time you turn around or it's actually a sense of inclusivity right and connection when you're with people and it's genuine and it takes being authentic and vulnerable to get that so now we start to see how all of these things are intertwined it's just a matter of expressing and layering and then exploring and then adjusting and then furthering understanding, right? Never being satisfied with that. But um, I, I love to start with that. Tell me how well you know your people. 
uh, you get a real good idea of, of how, uh, how, how much merit is behind that just by the continents in the face. <laughs> you, you really do, um, let alone which words are being used, okay? But uh, yeah, uh, you hear a lot of insecurity when, uh, when you get a response towards that kind of question. It's just, it's almost palpable. Um, and then you can start to, to go deeper and break down bigger rocks into little rocks, just start, starting to talk about that character because uh, leaders, executive leaders, um, a lot of them have, uh, have learned how to fail, right? That's, that's what it takes to get to the top. But there are quite a few that have not learned how to be successful. And that's a real thing, right? That is a real thing. If you're going to, to maintain a sustainable level of success, you have to have the side of your steel sharpened uh, towards an emotional quotient, being thoughtful, being inclusive, um, being approachable. But on the other side of that steel, right, two sides of this sword, you have to be fierce and assertive. So finding harmony there, that's the long-term goal. That's the outcome goal. Find harmony within those, which is another teaching point that I love to use because uh, another word that's used there, uh, and this is a leadership adage, right? Balance, work-life balance. Fuck off. Yeah, that, that's definitely the myth of work-life balance, all right. But you speak there of vulnerability, and I'm just wondering if, if that is a, a concept that you guys would have been encouraged to explore in your, in your training and during your career as a SEAL. Oh, no. Yeah. No, no, no. So the, even like the, brain treatment <laughs> stuff, the brain treatment stuff was, uh, was, was uh, it wasn't clandestine, but it was covert for probably four years, right? Where guys mm -hmm. are like, okay, I'll go, but I'm taking a chance because I'll never get back no matter what any report says, right? Yeah. And once guys started to understand, and I was one of those in 2013, NICO, if you're not familiar with that, you should check it out, National Intrepid Center of Excellence. Mm -hmm. The headquarters, right? The main one is uh, Bethesda. Pretty unique place. Read about that a little bit. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was our kind of intro to where it was an acceptable conversation uh, transparently, right? But that took a long time. Mm -hmm. And that's just us too. That's any organization. Mm -hmm. Anytime there's a bang in that adjustment, there's always that spike, all that pushback. <clears throat> and then guys start to really um, talk about it themselves and with other people. And then like the edge goes away. Mm -hmm. And now guys are seeking it. As a matter of fact, young, younger generation, these cats, if you're not talking to them from that, um, why should I do things mm -hmm. perspective? And you don't have answers to that. Um, they're not really listening. Mm -hmm. And that's actually, that's actually something that I've heard quite often from, from coaches of, of elite athletes is, uh, coaching at the, the younger generation. It was a much more challenging, um, proposition sure. because you, you have, have to, you have to explain coach. it. You have yeah. to be a little bit, you have to be, uh, philosophical, and be intelligent there and be emotionally uh, intelligent there because that's all that's all like unpacking parts of who you are, man. That's right. And uh, I heard Urban Meyer say it. I think I think it was like maybe three years ago. Urban Meyer was asked a question about what did he do with, uh, with quarterbacks because he's this whisperer mm -hmm. that, that people say, right? He says, believe it or not, I talk to the quarterbacks more about life, more than anything else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
That I love that, and that that's kind of that's always been my philosophy. Like I always talk about distraction control, and that you know the key the key element to anyone performing their best is how they manage the distractions around them. Yeah, using the way of being a coach now. Yeah, I'm trying to get better there. I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be. Uh, I'm aspirational, super aspirational. There, I talk to the I talk to the teams uh, very openly about it. You guys are going to teach me. I don't know your context, um, but uh, I, I, I also want to give back. Mm-hmm. And this is a fun environment to do it, right? And a different group. You got to teach. You got to mentor uh, in a different way because these guys uh, um, are treated differently. They should be treated differently. So they also have to understand there's more responsibility with that. And I can still a really a really critical role there right mm-hmm. that a lot of people don't have and uh that's just that's just fun but there's so much reward in in that for me mm-hmm. um it's just it's 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 hard to describe I, I wrote one message to the guys as a group uh telling them about that right before i, I went on my level up kind of conversation right mm-hmm. <clears throat> before before the game and I said, it's a different and cool feeling uh, after a win in sport. After my first one, it's hard to describe. It's uh, it's also like contrasted by it's difficult to deal with a loss because as a coach, you don't feel like you didn't do a damn thing. Mm-hmm. It's like there's so much doubt there. And that's what I'm coaching against is doubt, right? I'm, uh, that's one of my pieces of framework. I'm a big, uh, big uh, advocate of framework, right? What do mm-hmm. we battle? We battle doubt, anxiety, and apathy. Boil, boil it all down. Those are the three things that we're working against every single day. You can put that inside every single rep or every single play. But uh, yeah, the reward is 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 the best because uh, I'm able to use what I have and what I've been given um, to give other guys um, tools to sharpen their steel, man. Mm-hmm. So we can be on the line together. I don't give a shit. I don't give a shit what kind of work you do if you're a competitor. And uh, you have to make good decisions in stressful environments. Like we can jam. It's uh, you know I think I think it's one of one of our failings as human beings is that we're we're not comfortable being uncomfortable. We don't like being vulnerable, and sometimes you know that's 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 the missing link between being a true high performer and whatever you do is is that ability to to look inside and accept. You know, accept some of the things that aren't great, and also figure out paths to make them better, right? Um, and, and I think what you're doing in the training you're doing, and, and and passing on your experiences and expertise to to the next generation is is very cool. But I also love the fact that you're doing it with integrity. So you're going, you're not going in and saying, "I'm going to deliver the training that was delivered to me." You're saying, "I'm going to deliver something new that's going to because I've learned that things don't work." Um, and and I like that fact that you're asking people, you're challenging them to challenge you. You're asking them to kind of come back at you if they don't agree with you. And, and that takes that takes a lot of balls, you know, because... For sure. It, 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 the last thing you want as, a, as, as somebody who's delivering a leadership training is to be challenged and, and to look like you don't know what you're talking about. So you need an awful lot of confidence in your own ability to, to welcome being challenged. And I, I love that. And, and you know what's funny about that is you... Maybe you won't get the challenge, but you know what you got is you got them to listen because of that. Yes. And that and that's that's a leadership virtue, right? That's one of those intangibles. That's that whole uh, relatable piece, right? Like everyone fights to be relevant, but if you're not relatable, then uh, 
who knows what guys are gonna are gonna mm-hmm. remember, right? Hundred percent. Or or the way that you made made them feel, which is very important, mm-hmm. right? And Aussie taught me that <clears throat> he works for uh, a performance consulting group, <clears throat> and uh, yeah, so I, I I sought out some of his counsel on transition, man. Did like a cup of coffee interview with him, mm-hmm. right? So he gave me a tool <clears throat> that helped me in everything I do, man. He said. Uh, He's talking about himself. He said, as a as an Aussie, right? Like it's uh, caused me a lot of anxiety talking to groups because who knows who's gonna laugh at my accent? Who knows who's mm-hmm. not gonna laugh? And all the weird. It's almost like you're a comedian. You have to read the crowd so yeah. with so much nuance that it, it like takes away your focus. <clears throat> and uh, that's what people will remember, right? So he's like, I'm gonna try to use that uh, to my advantage uh, towards my content and my <clears throat> and my purpose in any given talk and he said I, I really study i think about how i want how i want them to feel when i'm done and that was like that was just transcendent for me because mm-hmm. yeah. that's what uh that, that helps you through your study <clears throat> helps you go from a different group right different audience because you can look through that and uh find a way to use all that leadership stuff to really like honestly poke people in the chest a little bit mm-hmm Mm-hmm. I like that. So where, um, where, where do you see the next challenge coming for you? Ooh, I think about it all the time. It's just mm-hmm. my take, man. Mm-hmm. We're all in a fight. Like mm-hmm. life is a fight. So I've got a very uh, unique part of my of of, uh, of the story. Testimony of my family. Uh, we said goodbye to a child. We're a cancer family. Uh, we are a family that's still married and united and mm-hmm. uh, protected our unit through <laughs> setbacks that mm-hmm. people uh, have a hard time digesting and just uh, being around and uh, being comfortable with. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've uh, said goodbye to my best friend in the world, uh, the closest brother I've ever had, and I'm still mm-hmm. recovering from that. So uh, there's so much through so many different uh, attacks, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're all in a fight. We're all fighting. We're all going through these attacks, and uh, the mindset's not different. Uh, the the tools might look a little different, but mm-hmm. the skills are the same, right? Tools are different, different shape, different names, different purposes, different utility. The skills are they are almost all the same. And the mindset, that mindset, dude, that that's that's fun shit to talk about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it is, and 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 what I was just wondering there is. Um, you know, you're talking about like even those two instances you talk about there. Uh, I'm really sorry to hear about the the, the loss of your child. Um, and you talk about losing your 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 best buddy, who I assume was in conflict. Um, yeah. And how do you in in both of those events, which are devastating in very different ways, um, how do you protect your mindset in that regard and not become bitter? I have faith in my life. Mm-hmm. That's about three years old for me. <clears throat> I've been the master of my universe my whole life. Mm-hmm. Uh, going through cancer with our daughter, Amelie. Uh, mm-hmm. I had to take my hands off the steering wheel. I've been white knuckling so long, and uh, I was dying with my daughter, mm-hmm. to be perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. So I needed help, and uh, I went to an organization that uh, supported me. It's a Brotherhood of uh, Veterans. Mm-hmm. And they give you a new blueprint, and I've been part of that organization for four years now. So I give them four or five weeks of uh, weeks weeks a year, and guys' lives change in that. So mm-hmm. learning through that lens has been amazing. 
um, and continuing to be part of that program. I see the same people, just different faces. I can't begin to tell you the crossroads I've had there that are God moments where guys were on ops with dudes I know who, who uh, I say goodbye to. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about their life through that and other events that have compounded. And uh, I get to help rebuild and sharpen their steel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I get to talk about the fight in the, in, in the most authentic way I know how. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's a big part of my life, right? I've got a spiritual connection through surfing, which is where I take out all my um, energy mm-hmm. that I have, right, from losing the locker room. And I've got, uh, that's a very deep for me, right? <clears throat> so I speak about that a lot. So I, 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 I do that every day. So I, I'm, if I'm not doing that, then uh, I'm fighting to do that. You know? and t- tell so, me a little bit about what you get from that. <laughs> yeah, so this is kind of new space for me. Yeah. <laughs> but that story is uh, my connection through surf. I just match my testimony with it and talk about my growth through being in the open water mm-hmm. and my awareness level, right? And my connection to the water and the challenges, challenges with it and, the, and, the, and what I get from it. And then uh, my daughter's connect, my connection to it through my daughter's uh, journey with cancer. Mm-hmm. So it rebuilt me in that stage. And uh, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot more to say about mm-hmm. it but the the water is us that's my philosophy that's my that's my theologian uh philosophy on the ocean it's us it's a reflection of who we are it's all our pain it's all our grief mm-hmm. talk about our tears right to talk about god's ability to carry all our weight mm-hmm. and uh that's the that's the evidence of it so when you ride the wave right it goes back to the whole fight your battles that's a, that's our that's our purest manifestation and do you, do you think that what you learned as a SEAL is what's at the core of that belief now? Or do you think that you've developed this belief? Um, oh, it's a part of kind it. Of it's a part of it. Because okay. all that warrior mindset goes inside of that. Mm-hmm. That's where I come from. That's my language, right? That's my, my, my understanding is that, is that that's underneath all of the fight. That's where I find a lot of truth and a lot of uh, some of that wisdom, right? That, that wisdom mm-hmm. through faith and scripture, because there's so many examples of it. God knows war, right? Mm-hmm. God knows, God knows loss. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give you a cool example here, brother. Um, revolution, uh, revelation 21, uh, one through three, it says the, uh, says the bit in, in God's own words about when, uh, when everything is taken away, there will be no more oceans. Mm. <laughs> yeah. There will be no more pain. And do you find, does, if we, if, if we kind of focus on your, 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 your brother, your buddy, who, who you lost, um, did, did, was that in conflict? Were you there with him when that happened, or is this, and and is that something that you can ever properly let go of? Mm. I think let go is the operative word. I don't think you let go. You just learn how to live with it. Mm-hmm. Same with uh, our daughter. You don't let yeah. go. We talk about it. She's present. She's alive. She's spoken of. Mm-hmm. And uh, you learn to live with it, and you got and you got to find a way to do that for good. Mm-hmm. If you don't do that, you're dying slowly. That's 100 <laughs> true, yeah. So yeah, I put I put JT inside of that. There's no doubt about it. My son is named Bravery John. Cool, great name. Our daughter passed on JT's birthday. No way. July, July 1st. Wow. So that's uh, 
that's a palm shot for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've never been more grateful my whole life, and it's never waned. It's never. Uh, it's not fleeting. So uh, I'm using it best of my advantage, best I know how. And how how do you? I mean, it's 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 kind of inspirational how you're how how you manage that, how you reframe that. And I'm I'm a big fan of the whole kind of psychological idea of reframing memory, so that it, you know, there's a yeah. there's a quote by Epictetus, a famous Greek philosopher, who who said, um, "It's not an event, but your opinion of it, which causes suffering." And mm. you know, obviously, you're talking about two, you know, horrifically traumatic events in your life there, um, but your opinion of them. Is, is 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 kind of inspirational and it's something i think everybody can learn from and that you know the, the, we can't change the events and how they happen but what we can do is we can choose to to set our mindset to whatever way we want to deal with these things and you know you obviously have a specific spet of, set of special skills to do that um, but I often wondered, and it's all something that, that intrigued me with, 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 with SEALs specifically because of the, the nature of the training, which is so difficult and because of the nature of the, the work you guys do, which actually becomes more of a kind of a mission than an actual job. Um, how, how do you let that go when you finish? And I just keep my head down. I take a, I take a look above the horizon here and there. I've got, I've got goals, but, uh, I just grind, man, and try to be. Uh, I try to make one good decision at a time, and good things happen. So that's kind of my my style towards it. And that's where I'll leave it with Ben. I hope you had as much fun listening as I had recording it.